Hello, and welcome to this Solace Church podcast. Thanks for tuning in. We pray that God speaks to you today through this message. For more sermon content and information, visit solacechurch.com. I'm going to read um, from Philippians 2, verse 17 through 30, if you can join me. Yes, and I am being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith. I am glad and rejoice with you all. For the same reason, you also be glad and rejoice with me. But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, that I also may be encouraged when I know your state. For I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state. For all seek their own, not the things which are of Christ Jesus. But you know of his, you know his proven character, that as a son of his father, he served with me in the gospel. Therefore, I hope to send him at once, as soon as I see how it goes with me. But I trust in the Lord that I myself shall also come shortly." Yet I considered it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker, and fellow soldier, but your messenger and the one who ministered to my need, since he was longing for you all and was distressed because you had all heard that he was sick, for indeed he was sick, almost unto death. But God had mercy on him, and only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore I send him the more eagerly that when you see him again, you may rejoice, and that I may be less sorrowful. Receive him therefore in the Lord with all gladness, and hold such men in esteem, because for the work of Christ he, may, he came close to death, not regarding his life, to support what was lacking in your service for me. And this is the word of the Lord. Morning, church. Let's uh, pray together. Father, thanks for the gift of your word this morning, and we're just thankful that uh, we get to open it up today. We have this time, this opportunity here. Uh, so much, I'm sure, in everyone's week ahead, so much behind. But God, as we just give you just this offering of our attention and, and this space and time, we ask that, God, that you would multiply it um, for your glory and for our good. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Awesome. Well, um, as Kyle kind of introduced, we are continuing today a study in the book of Philippians that we have been doing now for about two months, making our way through this phenomenal book. And the heart behind this study has really been to get into the context of, first, what Paul is, is really where Paul is coming from. Paul writes the letter to the Philippian church from a Roman prison cell, one of those important facts that often gets lost in a book that that is, we, we said Philippians is like the most coffee-mugged book of the Bible. Like most of the posts you see on Facebook, Twitter, Insta, whatever, um, or coffee mugs that you have, if you have a Bible verse on a coffee mug at home, it's probably from Philippians. Um, it, there's just so many of these great powerful one-liners and truths contained in it, but we want to we put those texts back in their proper context to really be able to step back and see the full landscape of what God's saying to us uh, through this book as Paul, again, is writing from prison. Uh, we've entitled this series Extraordinary, so if you've been with us for some time, you, you, you know that this concept is what we've been hitting on. Uh, the idea of Philippians is how the gospel of Jesus leads us beyond the limits of an ordinary life. I think we're all hungry for that. Every one of us is, is hoping that our lives matter f for more than just our lives, that, that our lives are lived in such a way that's not just average and boring and normal. And, and Jesus offers that, and Jesus calls us into that as his followers, to be those that live beyond the limits of an ordinary life. And Paul is certainly modeling that. He's not an ordinary prisoner, you know. As all the other guys are sulking in their prison cell, Paul's like, who can I write a letter to? Like, that's 
where Paul's at. His heart is, is, is different. And uh, we see in this text how the gospel can lead us there as well. And so uh, these verses that Francesca just read, they might seem just like business and information, but there's a lot of rich stuff in there. Uh, and so let's walk through, back through these verses. Uh, that's what we're going to do today, the verses that Francesca just read. Uh, and if you'd like to take notes, the title of the message today, we get this from this passage, is The Marks of Meaningful Ministry. The Marks of Meaningful Ministry. Uh, let, let's pray together. Uh, Father, thanks again for the gift of your word. Just ask that you would bless our time now as we unpack it together. And uh, we ask that you would speak to us. In Jesus' name, Lord, amen. Amen. So what are the marks of meaningful ministry? Well, what are the essential marks of ministry that really matters, that's really meaningful to people? meaningful to the kingdom, and ultimately meaningful to God? Uh, that's the question that I think the Apostle Paul would lead us to ask, even in this short uh, passage that we just read here. Um, not sure if you were able to follow along uh, attentively, but in those verses that uh, Francesca read, we have the Apostle Paul giving us, in these verses, a ministry update. An update from the field. I have a handful of uh, missionary friends uh, that are all over the world, um, and one of the most consistent ways that I stay up to date uh, with what's going on in their lives is through their ministry updates. That's how I stay in the loop. One, one person that comes to mind is a good friend, Tim Mallory, who's in Columbia serving the Lord. And he's, over the years, uh, he's done these ministry updates that kind of give you a little glimpse into the work that he's doing and what God's doing there. Uh, a great way to stay up to date. Well, obviously, in uh, the first century, uh, Twitter w wasn't really as popular. And uh, email was just really taken off. And so um, you had to resort to more natural means of update. Like, I got to send this guy back with my letter 600 miles to tell you how I'm doing. And that's really what the book of Philippians is. Uh, it's a thank you letter that Paul writes to this church. It's an instructional letter that he writes as a pastor. But it's also a means through which he can give them a little update about what's going on with him. One thing that we know about Paul and this church is that they are both near and dear to each other's hearts. Paul planted this church. You read all about it in Acts 16. He feels like this fatherly heart towards this church. And this church like, has a big heart for Paul. They're wondering how he's doing. And unfortunately, they can't just you know, check his most recent updated story you know, or, or his most recent post. So this is the way that he's able to give them an update. A big part of this update, it's interesting, at first glance, this is an itinerary. Do you notice that? It's a travel log. Paul's like, this is what's going on. This is where I'm at. This is who I'm sending. I'm going to send you uh, Paul, or I'm going to send you Timothy. I'm going to send you Epaphroditus. It's interesting. Like, just these verses here, uh, at, the, at, a, at a quick glance, they can just seem like travel plans. We've all got our travel plans. But within this travel log and itinerary, as Paul's giving this ministry update about how he's like, I can't come to you right now. I want to send Timothy. He can't really come at this moment. I'm going to send you Epaphroditus. What you have is you have Paul giving these sort of recommendations and encouragements about how the church should esteem certain people in ministry. It's kind of interesting. Uh, what Paul does is he, in this passage, commends the ministry of two men. 
he commends the ministry of a guy named Timothy. In the King James, it's Timotheus. I'm sure he preferred Timothy. And another guy, Epaphroditus. These are two guys that Paul holds up as examples of ministry to be received, honored, and esteemed for their service. He's like, you know, there's a lot of ministers out there, Paul says. He goes, but they're not all seeking the right things. And you know this, right? Just turn on some Christian channel at 2 a.m., right? Like, you know how it can be out there. You know what, what people can do in the guise of Jesus under the cloak of Christianity, how they can, you know, use these kind of like tools in the Bible for get-rich-quick schemes, you know? Um, you have like these multi-level marketing churches. It's really weird how that can actually be a thing. Paul's like, not everyone seeks the things of Jesus. You have today in ministry, and it's not always obvious. It could just be deep in someone's heart, these selfish motives of what can I get out of this platform or this opportunity. And Paul's like, yeah, but not these guys. I mean, imagine the Apostle Paul commending your ministry. Paul, the Apostle Paul's like, these guys, esteem them, hold them up. They're doing things right. Their meaning, ministry is meaningful. Now, it's, it's interesting. It's kind of a contrast to the next chapter in verse 2, where Paul says about some other guys in ministry, Paul's like, beware of dogs. Don't you have a sign like that on your fence? Probably, right? Beware of evil workers. Beware of the mutilation. This is a sect in Judaism. This is a sect in Christianity. You have these Judaizers that are compelling Christians. You have these teachers that are saying, listen, you're not truly right with God. You haven't been made righteous. You're not justified only by believing in what Jesus did. Here's the things you have to do, and then you will have God's favor. Here's the things you have to stop doing, and then God won't be mad at you. Like, that's what they're teaching. They're teaching another gospel. And so what a contrast. Paul is commending the ministry of some, and then he's warning against the ministry of others. Beware of dog. I love that. Watch out. Um, these aren't sheep. These aren't shepherds. He says there's, these, these, are, these are dogs. Now, uh, it's what leads me into what the title, again, of the message is, which is the marks of meaningful ministry. As Paul begins to characterize Timothy, and as he begins to describe the ministry of Epaphroditus, what we see in their lives is characteristics of meaningful ministry, like ministry that matters to God and to people, contrary to the dogs, as he was speaking of. Now, I want to stop for a second because half of you have immediately checked out, maybe more than half, maybe 90% of you, I don't know. But, and there could be many reasons for that. Maybe something just happened in the world and you noticed it on your phone or I, I don't know or there's, your feed's going or Instagram's going. But uh, it could be the reason why you've checked out is because in your mind you say, I'm not in ministry. I'm not in ministry, so, so why does this matter to me? Now, there's a sense in which I, I think it's important to say um, not everybody is in ministry in the same way. Uh, not everyone has the same calling within the church. Uh, it's Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, where Paul says that he gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, and some teachers. And the key word there that Paul's using over and over again is some, not all. 
Not everyone's called to stand up on stage and, and fight stage fright with a microphone and preach the gospel. Not everyone's called to, to spend, you know, 90% of their time in the life of the church organization. In fact, most of you aren't called to that, and that's a good thing. It's, it becomes a bad thing when 100% of the church is doing stuff in the church 100% of the time, okay? Some are called to be pastors. Some are called to that unique calling. And he who desires that, the Bible says, if that's in your heart, that's a good thing. That's a good work. If it's a good motive, it's a good thing. And, you know, there's a sense in which these marks that Paul gives, like, we should take these marks and we should put them upon any of the men that we might, or or women that we might see in ministry. We should run them through. It's good to have a filter regarding who you receive from. It's good to make sure that, you know, their life is matching what they're preaching. They're preaching the gospel and then they're, you know, going away to this like multi-million dollar mansion or something. You get what I'm saying? Like, it's good, it's good to apply this, these marks upon someone that might be ministered to you. But I want to say that what's more important, or what's just, I should say, what's as important is that you apply the same filter of meaningful ministry to yourself, to yourself and your own ministry. Though God gave some to be pastors and teachers, notice this, verse 12, which a lot of people miss this next verse, tells us why God gave some to be pastors and teachers. It says, for the equipping of the saints, notice this, for the work of ministry. So ministry is used only one time here in these verses, and it's not used of pastors, it's used of God's people. It's used of the saints. It's actually used to describe what the job of a pastor is. Not to be the sole minister hogging and showing off and doing all the ministry. Welcome to Solace. I'm glad you're here for my ministry. The ministry of Andrew, right? Like, that's not what church is to be about. Man-centered, pastor-centered, kind of LeBron James-style ministry where it's one person showing up every Sunday, showing off their Bible dunking skills for everyone. And we go, yeah, you know, we root like that. No, no, no. Listen, as the church, we aren't spectators to ministry. We're called to ministry. The pastor exists to equip the saints to fulfill their ministry. In other words, here's the idea. You have a ministry. What's your ministry? That's what, what Paul is saying. The saints have a ministry. Let me ask you a question. Are you a husband? You're in ministry. Are you a wife? You're in ministry. Are you a mom or a dad? You're in ministry. You have a ministry. Are you a student? You're in ministry. Are you a coworker? You're in ministry. Are you a boss? Are you a leader in the marketplace? You're in ministry. Here's one. Are you a neighbor? You're in ministry. Are you a Christian? Are you a follower of Jesus? Well, then Paul says you've received the ministry of reconciliation. You see, the the question isn't, are you called to ministry? The question is, what is your ministry? And are you fulfilling it? I think of a couple references here. 1 Peter 4.10 is each one has received a gift. What has God gifted you with? What has he put within you? What is unique about you? Minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. The grace of God in gifting people for specific acts of service is not, it's not limited to one kind of exclusive way to minister. It's the manifold grace of God 
There's so many different kinds of ministry. What is your ministry? I, I thought of this verse as well. In, in the book of Colossians, Paul's writing another letter to a church. And it's, it, this would be so cool if this happened to you in the first century, hypothetically. Um, Paul's writing to the church at Colossae, and he, he gives a shout-out to one of the guys in the church. So imagine you're this guy, Archippus, and uh, you're like, man, that's stunk. this stinks. My name's Archippus. But you're also... <laughs> it's like what you say, everyone like, hi, I'm Archippus, I'm sorry, it really stinks. But Paul's like writing this letter, he's like, hey, make sure you say to Archippus, everyone's like, um, t- sorry, take heed, notice what he says to him, take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord that you may fulfill it. So Paul's like writing a whole letter to a church and he takes time for Archie, right? He's like, let, that's, I'm sure it was his nickname, he's like, tell Archie, that God has called him to something unique. And he listen, nobody else can fulfill Archie's ministry. That's, that's, that's on Ar- Archie's got to fulfill what God called him to do. Can I say you too have a ministry to fulfill? You're in ministry. What is the ministry that you have received from the Lord? Like it's from God for you to fulfill. Now, um, Now, as we kind of land on that, again, back to Philippians, what Philippians shows us is a model of how that ministry can actually be meaningful. That's what we're after. Again, the marks of meaningful ministry. I don't want to just fulfill my ministry. Like, even as, like, in my ministry as a pastor, like, this is what I'm after every day. I've been serving the Lord in this way for, a, 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 for enough time now to go, I don't want to just do this to do this. I don't want to just do this to whether it's like try to fill up a room or whether it's to, to whatever it could be, the motives in ministry. Like I'm at a place where I'm like, God, we're three years in. I'm in, I'm in my Jesus year, turning 33 next week. Like I'm at a place in life where I'm like, Lord, I, I only want to do this if it's meaningful. Do you know what I mean? God, I only want to do this if it's actually mattering for people, and it's mattering for your kingdom, and it's mattering for your glory. And and that should be all of our heart. Like, what is your ministry, and is that your same prayer, where you're like, God, you've called me to be a mom, and I want to minister in a meaningful way. You've called me to be a neighbor. Fill in the blank. What is the ministry you've received, and is it meaningful? A good question that Paul is, again, answering for us is, what are the essential marks of meaningful ministry? Let's look at a couple of them. One, one that, that we see here in, in the life of Paul, and this is what's interesting. Uh, each person, Paul, Timothy, and Epaphroditus, I think that they bear, each of them bear one of three healthy marks of ministry. Each of them bear one of the marks. And these aren't like, I shouldn't have called it the marks, like as if the, this is a conclusive list. You know, These are the marks, nothing more, nothing less. You know, like There's many more. These are just three, okay? Uh, But the first one that we see in the life of Paul is this. Meaningful ministry pours out in selfless sacrifice. If our ministry to our wives, to our family, to our neighbors, to our coworkers, to our world, to each other, if it's going to be meaningful, it's going to bear this mark of pouring out in a sacrificial way, in a selfless way, in service to someone else. Notice what Paul says there in verse 17. Look at your Bibles, Philippians 2.17. Yes, Paul says... And I am being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith. 
I am glad and rejoice with you all for the same reason. You also be glad and rejoice in me. Paul is in a Roman prison cell. He is potentially going to be giving up his life. In this moment, he doesn't know. We know certainly that's, that turns out to be Paul's result as he's martyred for ministry, for, for the ministry of the gospel. But, but notice what, what Paul says about himself. There he is in prison, and he's like, here I am, and I am being poured out for you guys. He's like, my loss, your gain. Serving you has got me here, but it's got you where you are. And Paul's like, I rejoice in that. Isn't that amazing? Like, now, if you study the Apostle Paul, this is not something unique. It's not like, oh, really, Paul? Like, this is something that you know about this guy and his ministry. The Apostle Paul was a man who looked at everything that he had in his life, every resource, every gift, every opportunity. Paul looked at those things in his life as a gift from God to be leveraged for the kingdom. Instead of hoarding what Paul had, his time, his resources, his energy, his concern, his care, instead of hoarding that for selfish gain, in the life of Paul, you see someone who spent it all, spent it all sacrificially for the good of others and the glory of God. That's Paul's life. Uh, Notice the phrase there, I am being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith. Uh, A drink offering, obviously there's there's a uh, Jewish history to that, but even in pagan culture in Greece, which that was the the, um, environment that Paul was writing to, even in pagan rituals you had some kind of drink offering where you had some fine wine, okay? Uh, Probably maybe a cab, I'm not sure exactly, likely that, but it's something that was poured out upon that altar in a sacrificial way as an offering. And the, per- the perception of it was this, like, that's wasteful, right? You just poured out a, a nice cab. Why'd you do that? Like, it's kind of like my wife. Whenever, if, you, if there's a, it's kind of like my wife. Isn't it? It's like, what's next? Um, <laughs> if there is a beverage that's on the counter that's been there for longer than one minute undrank, it's gone. We don't have time for glasses of, of any beverage to just sit there on that counter. You drink it or I pour it out. No, I'm just kidding. For those of you who know Brittany are like, that's, she that has never done that, right? But sincerely, like if it's there longer than a certain period of time, and I'm like, no, don't pour that out. Don't, I was drinking that. It's like, you, it's, it's condensating, okay? It hasn't been sipped on in an hour. It's still, but I like it this temperature, you know? But I say, don't pour that out. I go, that's a waste. That's a waste. And many of us would maybe look at Paul's life and think that. That's a waste. Like, what a waste. That's the thought. And Paul's like, it it might seem like a waste from my perspective. I might be wasting in the sense of losing what I could gain personally. But listen, the way that I'm laying up treasures, the, the way that I'm reserving an eternal reward doesn't compare to what I lose here in this life. Jesus said that about our lives, didn't he say that? Like whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake, you will find it unlike any other way you're trying to find your life. There's something about finding Jesus, finding reward and fulfillment that's only found in giving yourself away, in pouring yourself out selflessly for the sake of others. What might seem like a waste, Paul saw as an investment. 
And that can be hard sometimes when, you, when you're not seeing the fruit of that investment. I don't mean to get too big into investments here, but I just mean like relationships. And it's important to know when it is time to move on from like, okay, I just, I've done what I can and I, now I've got to go. But there's just something to this kind of life that holds nothing back for the result of someone's faith being built up. And, and really, that, listen, this is what ministry is. Um, ministry's concern is I give out so that you can be built up. That's ministry in every facet and form. Uh, the great Warren Wearsby said this. He said that ministry takes place when divine resources meet human needs through loving channels to the glory of God. Whatever ministry has become to you, and however ministry has been modeled to you, this is what it is. Okay? Ministry takes place when divine resources are poured into and through a life to meet others' needs for the glory of God. Um, the idea of this concept is that in the pouring out, uh, the person pouring out does, doesn't in and of themselves have what is needed to give in ministry. This is so important. And you face this in ministry, I'm sure, where you're like, I don't have it. Do you know what I mean? I don't have the love that you need. I don't have the service. Like, we've all faced the, the truth and the gift of our limits, knowing what I, I just don't have uh, in and of myself as a friend, as a parent, as a neighbor. And this is a great reminder from Warren Wearsby that we are not, he says in, in, in chapter 2 of his book, which I have it right here. Uh, it's a really helpful book for ministry. It's called Warren Wearsby on being a servant of God. I love that. So simple. What are you going to call it? Just Warren Wearsby on being a servant of God. Like that's, what's it about? Being a servant of God. So that's like what he goes into. And listen to what he says here. This is so important about this point in chapter 2. Uh, Warren Wearsby says that the trouble with many of us is that we think that God has called us, listen to this, we think that God has called us to be manufacturers in ministry when he's really called us to be distributors. God alone has the resources to meet the needs of those around us. What we must do is receive his riches in order to share them with others. I love that. You know, that, that's really the model that we see all throughout the scriptures. We see, we see Jesus' people pouring their lives out into others based on what they've received from God. Um, you see this right away in the book of Acts. You know, you have, you have Peter and James as they go to the, this man who's lame at the temple, and, and um, he's, he's begging for, for, for financial resource. And they, they look at him, and they say, silver and gold I don't have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Right? This is ministry. Like, I don't have that. But here's what God's given me, and now I'm going to give it to you. And this is so important. I mean, this is a key principle. Like, you can't give what you don't have. It's so simple. Like, you can't lead others where you haven't gone. You can't pour out if you're, if you're not being poured into. And I've been there. I've had sermons where I walk off the stage, and I'm just like, that was all me. I've had those days. I've had those meetings. I've had those moments where it's like, man, I'm trying so hard. And, and I, I get it. Like, sometimes life is like that. Like, sometimes the wind blows and sometimes you got to row. Like, I get that too. But there's just something that's to, to recognizing that true ministry happens when I don't try to manufacture something. 
But I realize, God, whatever I need to give these people, whatever we need to, I need to give this person, you have it. You have the divine resources. I'm just the channel. I'm the river, not the reservoir. I'm going to position myself under you and say, God, give me what I need. Give me what they need. And that's the model you see. Like all throughout Acts, that's what you have. These guys just pour themselves out to empty. And then once they, they've reached their limit, what they do is they get together and they do this novel you know, church planning thing. They pray together. okay? And then they say, God, fill us. And then the Bible says that the Holy Spirit fills them. And then they go back out. It's just a rhythm of life. Like, you weren't, you're not meant to. You can't do the Christian life on your own. That's why Paul says, be, be filled with the Spirit. Um, so, so this is just a consistent principle that the, we see the early church doing in ministry. And where do you think they learned it, right? They learned it from Jesus. That's how Jesus did his life. He, he went everywhere pouring out. And then there was times where, like, there were needs everywhere. But he's like, yeah, but I, I got to go be with my Father. I need to be filled in order to give something substantial. Um, there's a big difference between dispensing a gift, a natural ability, and being a loving channel of divine resources. And that, that only really happens when we are positioning ourselves under the outpouring of God's spirit, pouring out what God pours into us. That's the first mark of meaningful ministry, pouring out in selfless service. Be filled up so that you can pour out sacrificially. Another mark we see, and this is in the life of Timothy, is we see meaningful ministry it also stands out. This is a really important characteristic for all of our ministry. Uh, meaningful ministry stands out with caring character. Uh, Paul kind of gives a snapshot of, of his life as an offering for others, pouring out what God fills him with. And then in verse 19, we see Paul commending Timothy. He's like, I'm going to send you Timothy shortly, not right away. Um, but, but Paul knows that Paul knows about himself that if he sends Timothy to this church, that he's going to get what he needs. He can depend on Timothy. But he's also affirming the church that in receiving Timothy, you're receiving someone who's trustworthy. And so Paul is just commending Timothy's ministry, and he's giving us these characteristics. He says, for I have no one like-minded, no one thinks like me like Timothy, notice this, who will sincerely or genuinely care for your state. That's like Timothy's characteristics was, was care. He, he will care for you. He says, for all seek their own, not the things which are of Christ, but you know Timothy's proven character, that as a son with his father, he served with me in the gospel. This is remarkable. Um, Paul is sending a pastor to a church. That's what he's doing. And he's like, well, guys, I'm sending you Timothy. You got a new pastor. Here he comes. He's going to be an interim pastor. Check on you, minister to you, bring back word to me. And as Paul begins to commend him, I want you to notice that Paul doesn't say anything about his preaching skills. Paul doesn't say he's got a seminary degree. Paul, not bad things, important things, but not what Paul says. He doesn't say, I'm sending you Timothy, and you will, you will laugh harder in his sermons than any other pastor I could send you. There's charisma there, guys, okay? Paul, Paul doesn't affirm his leadership strategy skills. <laughs> you know, he doesn't go into a lot of the metrics that we can tend to magnify today in church. Paul's like, he's got proven character. 
he's going to be a good pastor. He's going to be a good leader, not just because of what he can do, but because of who he is, his character. Don't we know this truth? Second, First Samuel, we know the Lord says to Samuel when picking out the, the anointed king of Israel, David, don't look at his appearance or at his physical stature. I, I, I probably refused him, for the Lord does not see as man sees. For man often looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Like, this is what God is concerned with in ministry. I've seen, I've seen ministry, a lot of ministry where where gifts can take people to a place where their character can't keep them. And that's not just in the church. That's everywhere, right? Like instant success. And, like, and, and, and there's, a, there's a part of us that has to evaluate our own lives and go, um, as a mom, as a parent, as a, as a husband, as a neighbor, in my ministry, who am I? How's my character? What's God developing? And is there rebar in my life of character that's able to sustain the blessing of God in a humble way? Um, and, and so that's what Paul says about Timothy. And, and what's really interesting, you know, you see this all throughout the Bible. Like 1 Timothy 3, you have the qualifications of an elder, of a leader in the church. And they're largely character qualities. There, there's some abilities there, but largely character qualities. Now, uh, to kind of bring this home more personal for, for you and I, um, What's really interesting is that as Paul is commending Timothy's character, out of all the characteristics of character that Paul could have focused on, he zeroed in on the character quality of genuine care. That was the thing he said about him. He's like, man, he's a trustworthy guy. Here's what you can depend on for Timothy. You're, you can know that he's going to care for you. Like, for, for Paul, out of all the things he could have focused on, it was Timothy's character. And of all the character traits, it was the fact that he cared. I thought of a fun word, character. It was fun for me to think of this word, okay? That's what Timothy had, man. He had character. This is um, a key characteristic, not just of all in any ministry, but certainly pastoral ministry, shepherding, or shepherding your family. I think of Jesus in John chapter 10, where Jesus is talking about the difference between a good shepherd and someone who's not a shepherd, but just like a hireling, a hired servant. And uh, this is what Jesus said. Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep, pours himself out in sacrificial service. But a hireling or a hired servant, someone that you like, it's like a babysitter for your sheep, you know. A hireling who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. And, and I want you to notice this profound verse. I love this verse. It's because the way Jesus is like stating the obvious in such a simple and profound way. The hireling flees because he's a hireling. And notice this. And he does not, what? Care about the sheep. Like, care. Jesus taught this, that care is central in ministry. And the point that I'm making about meaningful ministry is that meaningful ministry stands out with this characteristic. The reason why it stands out, Paul says here, you have no one else like Timothy. Paul's like, it's such a rarity to find someone that cares like Timothy. And I think that's true. I think the reason why caring character stands out is because it's rare. It really is. And I mean genuine care. That's what he says. He doesn't say Timothy's going to come with a fake smile and kind of act like he feels bad for your situation. 
He's like, Timothy is a guy who's going to genuinely, sincerely feel your pain. He actually cares for you. And I can go to so many places in Scripture that emphasizes the importance of this in our lives. That we can do loving things, and if we do them, though, without love, it's nothing, you know? There's got to be this heart that says, I care. Jesus modeled that. I want to talk about kind of two ideas of this. I want to talk about the capacity of our care. This is really important. Now, we're talking about caring. Caring is complicated. It really is. Timothy models it, but it's a complicated thing to figure out in your life. I often find myself teetering on this balance of my capacity to care too much or care too little. Do you know what I'm saying? Um, I call it undercare or overcare. This is the balance we've got to find. I don't know if those are words. I didn't get spell checked, so I win. Um, but um, when, when it comes to the capacity of our care, some of us are at the place where we don't care enough about things that matter most, and we've got to figure out why. Why don't I care enough for my lost neighbors? Why don't I care enough when someone's hurting? And I would imagine that it probably has something to do with because you're too distracted caring about other things and you only have such a capacity to care about everything. Do you know what I mean? So doesn't Jesus say this, that like one of the things that will choke his work in our lives is the cares of this world? Doesn't he say that? Matthew 15, Mark 4. Like sometimes as Christians, I'm not saying don't care. Don't hear me out. Don't email me, okay? But it's okay to care about what's going on in the government. Okay, be a good citizen. But is there also in your life a healthy balance of care for your neighbor? Is there, is there active care for the things that matter most to God? Are you with me? Like, there's a capacity to care, and sometimes the reason why we don't care is because we're so caught up in the cares of this world. To care enough, care as much as we should. Now, there's, there's, a, there's another side of this to where you overcare, and that's a hard one because it's like, wait, so like you can love too much? It's like, stop loving that much. Love less, all right? And that's weird, right? wouldn't say that. But there's a kind of overcare that, that um, it's almost like, you care widely, but you don't care deeply, right? You, ca you care about everything. And if you really care about everything, I don't know if you really care about anything. Seriously. And, and there's a balance here to where, like, we underestimate this fact. Like, you do not have an eternal capacity to care about everything and everyone all at once. You just don't. And, like, this is where I'm learning to, it's like, to be okay with people being like, oh, my gosh, you don't care? It's like, it's not that I don't care. It's just that I kind of can't. Not that I won't, but I want to be a good steward of the things that God has called me to focus on in my life. So, again, this doesn't mean don't care. Don't care. Just, I don't care. No, it doesn't. That's not what it means. But, but let's be like Jesus, right? Jesus would go to a, um, a group of people. Of people, he would show up, for example, at the pool of Bethesda, where there's all these sick people. And he would heal one of them. Jesus, do you not care? Right? 
Isn't that what the disciples said to Jesus when they're drowning? Don't you care? Where's your care? And like, guys, this is so hard because we're in a culture right now that's like, care, care more. It's like, okay. I'm caring. It's like, now care about this. I care. And it's, I don't think it's genuine. You're posting about it. Great. Do you care for your husband or wife? Do you care for your family? Do you care for your neighbor? Do you care for the things that matter most? And so I'm not trying to be too specific for you to think that I have like some idea about your life and I'm judging you. Like, like if it's, if that's, you know, if, by the way, if that bothers you, you probably care too much, but, um, <laughs> but listen, like Jesus, here's, here's what Jesus said. He goes, man, when I look out into the world, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. The prior verse is Jesus seeing the sheep and having compassion on them. It's amazing what God can do, man, with a group of people whose hearts are open for the things that God's heart is beating for. And it's amazing the opportunities that can be missed by the church when we're consumed with the cares of this world or so consumed with caring about every little thing, that, there, and the other. Now, it could be that the thing that you care about so much is because God has given you that care. That's important. It could be that that's your minute. That's like, I remember someone telling me this. Uh, I didn't plan to say this. But five years ago, I was working at a church, and I was, like, getting frustrated as to, like, how the chairs were set up in, like, a disorganized way. And I was like, so, I was like, guys, like, this isn't right. Like, and it wasn't even my, like, area of ministry. <laughs> and I remember a buddy of mine, he said to me, this is why you need to start a church. I'm like, why? He's like, because you care about stuff like this. I'm like, well, I don't know if that's true. Like, start a church if you care about chairs. But, um, but like, I, that's a, a big part of, you know, Nehemiah's, his heart was moved. So uh, here's what I would challenge you to do. Like, you need to do what Jesus did, which he would get alone with his father and say, God, what have you called me to give my care to? That doesn't mean be careless about things that are important. But really ask God, who deserves the priority and the order of your care? Uh, Jesus said this. He said, uh, most assuredly, I say to you, the Son of Man does nothing, can do nothing of himself, or what he sees the Father do. Whatever he, he does, the Son also does in like manner. And, and we need to walk with Jesus. Jesus will lead us into a life like this that just says, Father, whatever you're calling me to do, I'm not going to be distracted by the noise of all the different 50 cares and concerns. Uh, there's, there's a danger in, in, a, in, in thinking that you have all the empathy in the world. Um, there's also a danger in being desensitized and not caring at all. So I hope that was more helpful than confusing. Um, I care about that. Um, I think what's really cool about Timothy is also the content of his care. Uh, it, heart and hand is really important here. He says, Timothy is going to sincerely care for you. And there's a genuine care, but there's also like this expectation that you're going to get care, right? I think that's important too. Another balance we have to find I won't talk as much about this, but um, I think there's a danger in having one without the other where, like, you're doing things, but you don't really care. You know what I mean? Um, I think it was, um, oh, my gosh, who was the missionary? It was a missionary guy who said, <laughs> those are the academic scholarly quotes you'll get here at Solus. <laughs> there was a missionary guy one time <laughs> who said, you cannot love without giving, but you can give without loving. You cannot love without giving, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, but, but you can give without 
loving. And so we want to make sure that if we're doing something with our, our hand, that we say, God, give me the heart that you have. But also, we, we can't just be people who are like, oh my gosh, we care, we care, we care. It's like, well, the good Samaritan cared enough to care for the man on the side of the road. There's got to be a balance there of heart and hand. I, I, I just want to say it's been really cool to see uh, this play out in our community groups. I, I've, just seen, um, I've just seen this happen, and it's really cool. It's really cool to see a family of faith care for each other, and I want to invite you into that. If you're a part of our church and you're not being cared for and you're not caring for others, you're missing what church is meant to be. Amen? All right, last point. I'll get you out of here. Meaningful ministry serves out of helpful humility. This is where it all, all wraps up with our last guy, Epaphroditus. I like that name. I, I, if I was him, I wouldn't hyphenate it, nickname it. I don't know what you, you would do. Hey, Ditus. Hey, hey Epaph. Um, Afro? Call him Afro? That's, um, sorry. Um, better than Archippus, you know? All right. Last guy, Epaphroditus. He bears this final mark of meaningful ministry. Um, meaningful ministry, lastly, serves out of helpful humility. So, so you, you have pouring out of selfless sacrifice. You've got to be poured into to pour out. You have ministry that stands out with caring character. In a healthy balance of that, heart and hand, not too much, not too little, all focused on what the Father has for you to focus on. And then you have this last guy who models just service, humble service. Um, Epaphroditus, Paul says about this guy, that he, Paul says he's my brother, fellow worker, fellow soldier. He says, your messenger, notice this, he's the one who ministered to my need. Now, that's pretty interesting. Paul is in prison. We learn in chapter 4 that the Philippian church brought a gift to Paul. Because when you're in prison in Rome, you're not, it's not like the pen. Like, yo, I'm going to the pen. I'm going to eat this. You know, like, it's not like you have, like, the food's not that good in Roman prison. It's like the food's not there in Roman prison. Like, so you eat if you have good friends who, who minister to you. And that's what Epaphroditus did. The Philippian church took up some resources, and they said, we're going to care for Paul. And they sent Epaphroditus. Some people think maybe he's one of the pastors there at the church of Philippi. He comes to, to, to Rome where Paul is, and he brings that gift. And, and Paul commends this guy, and he's like, and notice what he says about Epaphroditus. He says that he ministered to my need. That doesn't mean that Epaphroditus showed up and preached a sermon. Because ministry is not just what you preach, you know. It's not, that can be ministry. Um, we saw Warren Wearsby with a definition of ministry, I came up with one, and it rhymes. Um, sorry. Ministry. Here's what ministry is. Ministry is using whatever I have, however I can, to serve Jesus and people wherever I am. You like that, John Boy? John's my friend. Um, Whatever I have, what do you have? Maybe it is like a sermon. Maybe it is something in your heart. Maybe it's a resource to meet a need. What do you have? What has God given you? And, and how can you see what you have as a means to serve people? It's Epaphroditus. He ministered to my need. Using whatever you have, however you can. It doesn't mean you have to do it like that person. Or, like Just be you. Be who God created you to be. 
We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. What's your ministry? What do you have? How can you use whatever you have, however you can, to serve Jesus and people? It doesn't rhyme anymore, but wherever you are. Dang it. Sincerely. Now, what's amazing about this guy, Epaphroditus, here's where we close out. The last verse about this guy. Notice what it says there in verse 29. Can you see this? Receive him in the Lord with all gladness and hold such men in esteem. Isn't that amazing? Like who do we tend to hold in esteem? We tend to hold the person who's the loudest, the funniest, the most gifted, the most this, that, or the other. And Paul's like, this is a minister. This is how the kingdom works. This is what Jesus taught. That greatness in the kingdom is service. You don't serve as a means to get to some higher platform. And I'm thankful that we're creating a culture here where we're like, that's not how it works here. That's not what souls is. Like, we're not here for any human. Like, we're not here for Andrew or ourselves. We're here for Jesus. So church isn't a place to be able to stroke my ego and get some, like, we're here to serve Jesus, right? That's why we have an incredible group of people that show up early to set up Everything you see here in this room. That's why we have people right now. We don't see them. They're like Epaphroditus. It's not seen ministry. They're over there in the kids' ministry. Pouring into little ones. Um, that's, that's serving Jesus. This kind of selfless attitude that doesn't serve to get. But just says, how can I give? I, two years ago, I remember a guy saying, hey, Andrew, it's been great. Like, it's been really nice. Like, you know, setting up is really cool. But, like, I really feel called to ministry. So he said to me. I was like, do you? Oh, that's not ministry, right? Right? I feel called to, well, who are we serving? (laughs) We're serving Jesus. Who is Jesus? Jesus left for us a model of ministry that says, I was at the highest height, and I didn't use my platform platform or position for myself, but I left that position. I became a man. I became a servant. And I died on the cross for your sins. Jesus models that service. He washes the disciples' feet. And he gives us a model. He told the disciples after he washed their feet, he told them as he stumped to that low, he said, I've given you an example that you should do as I've done to you. Like this is life in the kingdom. Serving. Serving for a heavenly purpose. Serving for God's glory. This is who, Paul says, esteem people like this. Those are children of God. Those are people that are serving in the way of Jesus, willing to use whatever I have and however I can to serve people in Jesus wherever I am. Um, Jesus taught this. He said, take heed that you don't do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Like, it's like, why are you doing what you're doing? We do what we're doing to please our Father in heaven because we get to go to work with Dad, Right? About our father's business. Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, do not sound a trumpet before you like the hypocrites. Hey, everybody, very Ron Burgundy, come see how servant I am, you know? He's a first century theologian. Um, Don't sound a trumpet as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that they may have glory from men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have the reward, but when you do a charitable deed, be like Epaphroditus. Do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing that your charitable deed may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will himself reward you openly. I preached on this last summer in our series, Sermon on the Mount, and the sermon was entitled Secret Service. All right? Which is who Christians are called to be in society. 
Like, you don't really know they're, they're there, but it's like, who did that? Who took out that bad guy, you know? Like, who set that up? Who did that? Listen, that, that's what we're to be about as children of God, because we're doing what we're doing heartily is unto the Lord and not to men. And, and there's something about that. When your ministry is not for praise, it's not even for the results, it's just for Jesus, that has a staying power to it. Mom, you will get through what you're doing if you turn your eyes back to Jesus. You're doing it for him. You're doing it heartily as unto him. When there's no fruit, when there's no results, when the same friend has rejected the same offer over and over again, we follow the ministry of Jesus who gave up his own life for us. This is most displayed in the gospel. I'm going to invite our, our worship team to come out where we close in a time of response, just a song of response. And, and we, we sang this song on the front end, None But Jesus. That, to, to have Jesus, the idea is, is to have everything I need because Jesus is the one who modeled the most meaningful ministry. You think about his life, Jesus first and foremost, Jesus poured out himself as an offering, didn't he? And, and wasn't it perceived as wasteful when he was going to the cross? Didn't the disciples say, don't do that? And here we are today saved and set free because Jesus invested in our eternity. He gave up his life for our salvation. In Jesus, you have a minister who cares. Maybe you're here today and you're just like, I, I think I've gone outside of the care of Jesus. And you need to be reminded of who Jesus is as a shepherd in scripture. He leaves even the 99 to go after the one that feels that they're outside of his love, outside of his care. I want to tell you, you have not and you can never wander outside Jesus' care for you. He cares for you. He knows where you are. He knows what you've gone through. We don't have a high priest who can't sympathize with our weaknesses. He, he knows what you're feeling. He cares for you. And ultimately, this Jesus, he used whatever he had, which was the power, the authority of, of, of the King of Kings, and he used it to serve. He went to a cross, and on that cross, he made a payment for your sin. Your sin needed to be paid for. Without Jesus, you're not okay with God. You've sinned against God. The good news is, despite your sin and separation, God is love. And this God so loved you that he made a way for you to be reconciled, for you to come back into relationship with him. And where you see that is on the cross, where Jesus, the sinless son of God, he became sin on your and my behalf so that we could for free become the righteousness of God in him through just faith and receiving the gift of his grace. You don't work for it. You don't stop sinning. You recognize Jesus as the perfect sacrifice for your sin. And you say, Jesus, be my Lord, be my Savior, forgive me of my sin, fill my life. I want to live for you. I want to have eternal life in you. And so that's who Jesus is. That's why we serve him. That's why we want to serve like him. Let's stand together, close in a time of praising him, and I'll send us out. Thanks again for tuning in. We pray that you were blessed by today's message. If you'd like to visit us in person, we gather at Don Estridge High Tech Middle School in Boca Raton, Florida, every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. For more sermon content and information, you can check out solaschurch.com.